know if you ever think about this, but have you thought about the way we use the word love? Like, really thought about it. Because I'll say in the same breath that I love my children, and I also love tacos. And I mean both of them. Right, But we use love as sort of this word that gets thrown around and we, we attach it to all sorts of things. It, it almost is more of an adjective than a verb, right? That we, we just sort of lose, we use it so much that somehow it loses something. And what's interesting about the teaching of Jesus is Jesus talks about love a lot. Uh, I don't know how we've missed that over 2,000 years of Christian history, but it's something Jesus talks about a lot. Uh, and there's a particular teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus... Um, talks about love in a way that seems completely unattached to reality. Uh, And I want to read this for you. And you've heard it before, I'm sure. And we tend to hear these and we're like, yes, that's exactly what we should do without actually thinking through what it's asking of us. So listen to these words from Jesus. You have heard that it was said. So right away, Jesus is saying, here's a bit of conventional wisdom. This is what everybody says. This is what everybody knows about how things should work. You have heard it said, you must love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, so there's conventional wisdom. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. How many of you that makes sense? Let's be honest. You can be honest. Yes, it makes total sense, right? And then Jesus is going to say, here's some unconventional wisdom. But I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who harass you, so that you will be acting as children of your father or mother or whatever word you want to use there for God, who is in heaven. God makes the sun rise on both the evil and the good and sends rain on both the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love only those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors like the worst of the worst do that? And if you, uh, that's something that's sort of transcended culture too, isn't it? The people who take taxes have a bad rep. Um, if you love only those who love you, what reward do you have? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing? Don't even the Gentiles do the same. Therefore, just as your heavenly father and mother is complete in showing love to everyone, so also you must be complete. Now, how many of you would really be okay if Jesus just didn't say that? Anybody else? I mean, because we get the love your neighbor part. Right? That makes sense to us. You need to love your neighbor. That actually comes from the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 18. It says, do not hold a grudge and do not seek revenge, but love your neighbor as yourself. Right? It's beautiful. It's compelling. It makes sense to love the people around you who are like you and they live in your, you know, you've got a little cul-de-sac thing going on in the summer and it's so much fun. And you love all those people and they love you. And the way you know is because when you do something for them, they do something nice back for you. Right? When they throw a party, they invite you and you get to eat all their food and drink all their drink and you get to have a really good time. You love your neighbor. And then Jesus says, so like that's, that's a bit of it. Love your neighbor. That's good. But you've also heard it said that you should hate your enemies. Where is that in the Bible? Turns out there isn't a phrase in the Bible that says you should hate your enemies. But there are some really gnarly texts in the Bible that might lead one to believe that hating one's enemies is an appropriate response. Let me read you one of these, uh, Psalm 139. Now, you're going to know the, I'm not going to read the whole thing, it's long, but you're going to know the first bit of it um, because it's, it's pretty familiar. It starts out like this. Lord, you have examined me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. Even from far away, you comprehend my plans. You study my traveling and resting. You are thoroughly familiar with all my ways. There isn't a word on my tongue, Lord, that you don't already know. Where could I go to get away from your spirit? Where could I go to escape your presence? How many of you know this psalm? It's really beautiful, isn't it? Do you know how it ends? 
Have you read all the way through? It's shocking. Here's how it ends. If only God, you would kill the wicked. Like I've heard people read that Psalm at baby dedications because it's like you knit me together in my mother's womb. They don't go down to, oh God, if you would only kill the wicked. If only murderers would get away from me, the people who talk about you. Uh, Don't I hate everyone who hates you? Don't I despise them who attack you? Yes, I hate them through and through. They've become my enemies too. And they kind of channels a little Dr. Seuss there at the end of that Psalm. Um, I would not like it in a boat. I would not like it with a goat or whatever you might say. Um, and, And there are texts, right, that seem to say it's okay to hate your enemies, it's not only okay, it's what makes sense. It's what rational people would do. And yet, we're being invited by Jesus. He says, instead, but I say to you, you've heard it said, but I say to you, instead, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Now, I don't think Jesus is talking about a sentimental kind of love. Right? And I don't know about you, but when I think of love, I go to the sentimental Right, like when you think about kids or when you think about your grandma or somebody who's meant a lot to you and it sort of evokes this emotional, fuzzy, happy response from you, right? I don't think Jesus is saying, when you're around your enemies, I hope you feel like just a happy, ooey-gooey, butterfly sort of experience around them. I also don't think Jesus is talking about having no boundaries. Um, there are some people who are toxic and destructive to you and you don't need to be near them. And actually being near them would be an unwise decision on our part. So I don't think Jesus is saying that there's never an appropriate set of boundaries to put in place so that toxic people can't sort of make you uh, toxic and wounded. And I don't think he's saying that. I don't think Jesus is even saying that we should give people a free pass when they've committed gross injustice. I don't think it means we say, well, you know what? I know they did that, and I know that there's consequences, but you know, I'm supposed to love my enemies, so I can't do anything about that. I don't think that's what he's talking about. And then he goes on, not only love your enemies, he says pray for them. And I don't think he means what we usually do. Oh God, if you would slay the wicked, right? And you may not go that far. You may not wish death and destruction on somebody, but how many of you ever prayed for somebody to be fired before? (laughs) Dear baby Jesus, if you do this one thing, this one thing, just fire that person. All right? Have you ever prayed that somebody would get a flat tire? Hmm? How many of you have ever been, somebody's been recklessly driving around you and they get pulled over by a police officer down the road and you drive by and you're like, there is justice in the universe? Right? I, I don't think that's what Jesus means. Here's what I think Jesus is getting at. I think Jesus, and, and he appeals to God. Jesus says, and by the way, when you live this way, when you love your neighbor, when you pray for those who are causing you problems, when you do this, you are acting like a child of God. That's who you are, and you're acting like who you are. Because he says, God brings the sun out on the righteous and the unrighteous, and God sends rain on the good and the bad. Now, I used to think rain, because often in our culture, we think about rain as a bad, like it's gloomy and it's sad, but in an agrarian society, when everything depends on having the exact right amount of rain for your crops to flourish, what is being said, Jesus is saying, God sends blessings on the righteous and the unrighteous, the churchgoer and the non-churchgoer, the, the person who has orthodoxy and the person who, like, right? God sends God's rain and blessing everywhere. God doesn't discriminate. God doesn't look at one person and say, you know what? 
they found $50 and they turned it back in at Kroger. They found it on the floor, they turned it back in. And then this other person found $50 and they spent it all, right? So they get rain and they don't. God doesn't discriminate. God shares abundantly with everyone. And Jesus says, that's what it's like to be a child of God. Here's what I think is happening. I don't think Jesus is telling us to put ourselves in situations that are unhealthy. What I think he's saying is to love your enemy, to pray for your enemy, it's essentially leaving room for their transformation. Because we live in a retributive society. We live in a retributive world. A world that only cares about retribution. Right? So somebody breaks the law and what do we do? We punish them. And we punish them and punish them and then we let them back out and they break the law again and we punish them. That's retribution, right? Somebody does something to you, so you do something back to them. And what Jesus is arguing for is a different kind, a restorative world. A world where even among us, when there's difficulty, even when there's pain, even, like we find a way to leave space for a person to be transformed. Because here's the thing. If you kill your enemy, the story doesn't get better. And now you're a murderer. If you gossip about your enemy, the story doesn't get better. It's almost like what Jesus is saying is don't, because you've been dehumanized, don't in turn dehumanize someone. That's easy to do, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of one of those things that you just sort of start doing, especially if you don't know the person, if it's a person on a, a larger scale, that we make all sorts of statements and, and judgments about people that we've never even met, don't we? And we tend to dehumanize. Well, they're not even, those people, those people aren't even worth our time. Don't dehumanize. I think Jesus would say, just because you've been oppressed, don't become a new oppressor. Um, It seems like what we want in our world is to just flip sides. We want the rich to be poor and the poor to be rich. We want the excluded to be included and the included to be excluded. And Jesus is offering a bigger picture that says, what if, what if everybody could win? What if the people doing the worst things in the world could have a change of heart? What if they could be transformed in some way? What if the story doesn't end with hate? What if we realize the world isn't made better by that tit-for-tat violence back and forth, that, that exchange that where they do something to us so we do something back to them? What if that doesn't ultimately wake the world? What if we can't bomb our way to peace, whether with our bombs or with our words? Or with wor- maybe worse, the passive-aggressive stuff? Do you have passive-aggressive people in your life? You know what I'm talking about where they say things and you're like, wait a minute. It hits you later. They were being passive aggressively mean to you. If that's you, just stop. It's not cool. Like, don't be passive aggressive. Uh, and there's this reality where Jesus is saying it's not how the world gets better. You will not argue the world into justice and wholeness. The only thing that brings that into the world is a different way of being human. It's when we choose to engage differently. And this is where this phrase comes up a lot, uh, where we'll sort of say, love conquers all. How many of you have heard that? And it sounds good, right? Because what that means is, in the end, love triumphs. But as I've been thinking about that phrase, I actually don't think it's true. I don't think love conquers anything. I think the minute we're conquering, we've left love in the rearview mirror. And I think that's what Jesus is saying here. If you were to defeat your enemy you're not really winning because they're still your enemy. But what if you left space and what if you left room for our enemies to become different? And maybe not with us. It may be that there are people who you need to tell them, lose my address, lose my phone number, lose my email address. Don't tweet me. Don't Facebook me. Don't hit me up on Insta. What else is there? 
Snapchat, whatever's next. Like, just lose me on all those. Yeah, absolutely. But what if they could become different? What if they could be transformed? And Jesus ends, it's one of my favorite um, texts where Jesus ends and he says, be complete in showing love to everyone just as God is complete in showing love to everyone. Uh, Older translations translate that word perfect. How many of you have ever heard that in church? Be perfect as God is perfect. And how many of you have had that response like, uh, not, not going to happen. Not something I can do, right? And it really is the word that just means complete, not lacking, whole. Be whole just as God is whole. And I think what he's getting at is that when we engage in revenge, when we allow ourselves to hate, when we allow ourselves to be filled with contempt and we, we do things to try to get back at the people who have wounded us, what we're revealing is that we're searching for wholeness in a really backwards sort of way. Because hate will never make you whole. Hate reveals a deep emptiness. Hate reveals a deep fear. Hate can never make us whole. And this is why Jesus says love can make you whole. And not only can love make you whole, it can make the people around you whole and it can make the world whole. Love has a transformative power. And what if we were to hold our enemies in that way? I love what Frederick Del Bruner says. He says, Christian completeness is the width with which disciples are able to embrace others, not the height to which they are able to climb. Listen to that. When we think about faith, we often think about ascending a ladder, right? Like I'm moving up. I am now a poop or whatever it is at the top of the Christian ladder, right? Like I'm now the best. He says, no, that's not what it is. True completeness isn't being at the top. True completeness is having an embrace that is wide enough for everyone. And he goes on to say, Jesus invites us to a whole life, a life that is not marred and fragmented by hate. You ever, you ever met somebody who hates? Yeah. Are, are those people that you typically want to invite to coffee? Because what does hate ultimately do? Hate shrinks your soul. It makes you bitter. It makes you cynical. It essentially robs you of any light and any joy and any hope that there, that there could be a better tomorrow. And Jesus is saying that the easiest thing to do is to hate your enemies. That's why when people have always, like, growing up, I would go to churches and listen to people talk about Jesus, and they were trying to hawk him like a bad used car. How many of you know exactly what I mean? Where it's like, you don't look under the hood, just trust Jesus. Right? And what they didn't tell me was that following Jesus is really, really, really hard. Like, to take Jesus seriously, not as an afterlife protection plan, but as an actual way of being in the world, right? You like that, didn't you? That's good. That's good. Yeah. Um, If we take Jesus seriously and we actually seek to embody that way of being in the world, it's really, really difficult. There are people who uh, affected my life in a negative way 30 years ago, and I can go back to that moment in a blink of an eye. I could get 100 positive emails, and it's the one, right? I could have a hundred positive interactions and it's the one. And that one, you just roll around and roll around and it builds anger and frustration and contempt. And Jesus is offering us a way out of that. What would it look like if we were to seek completeness, not perfection? What if we tried to become complete human beings? And we can't become complete human beings when we're giving little pieces of us to all these people because we hate them. 
I don't know if you've ever had somebody like hate you and like be after you on the internet. Um, but it's, it's a thing that's happened to me a couple times. And I realized one day that, that I was fine, but this guy who was like stalking me and hate, like being hateful, I was living rent free in his head. And how many times are we letting people through our hate, through our contempt? And we would never use the word hate, but it's ultimately where it goes. And bitterness, how many people are we allowing to live rent-free in our heads and our hearts when really the path to liberation is to say, I realize that that person is difficult for me. I realize they've hurt me. I realize I don't need to be anywhere near them. And yet I realize that God loves them. And I realize that I'm hopeful for their transformation. And I, I want to act toward them in a way, even from a distance, that leaves room for them to change. And what I think happens, perhaps, I'm, I'm, this is just a theory, that as we leave room for them to change, something happens to us as well. Our heart grows larger and more expansive, and suddenly the width with which we are able to embrace the world becomes wider and wider and wider. Jesus says it's a narrow path, but he says nothing about a narrow embrace. He says it's difficult. And yet he says in some beautiful, profound mystery, there is room for every single person. Are you with me? So let's take just a minute as we, um, as we wrap this up. Um, and if you want to close your eyes, you can. If you want to keep your eyes open, you can. Whatever you're uh, feeling this morning. But let's take just a minute. Take a couple breaths. And perhaps we'll take just this moment, and I want you to think about somebody that you're harboring bitterness toward, anger toward, hate toward, contempt toward. It could be somebody who did something this week. It could be somebody who did something 45 years ago. But think about that person for a moment. And what if in this moment, as we're holding that person, what if we were to invite Spirit, invite God, whatever word you use, to love them and transform them? What if we took this moment to turn them over and let them out of our prison that we've built? What if we take this moment to say that my contempt is not making the world better? What if we took this moment to say that this reality we call God that lives in us and through us really can change everything? God, as we hold these people in our minds and our hearts this morning, pray first for healing, for healing for our wounds, the pain that they've caused us, the grief that they've given us. Those are real wounds and those are real scars and they matter. The risen Christ showed up with scars. This morning, give us the courage, and we may have to do this every morning, but give us the courage today to begin to let them go. Give us the courage to turn them over to your love and your grace and your justice, and your compassion. Because you invite us into this way because we are children of God and this is what God is like. The God who sets free. Set us free 
from our contempt and bitterness and anger and hatred today. And if we have to revisit this tomorrow, we invite you to do it again. We love you. We're grateful. Pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Let's stand together if you're able.